Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am on how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful, but we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org slash lost. Let the word go forth. Fool me once. Are you fired up? I'm not a crook. Are you ready to go? Shame on Shame on you. It's Abe Lincoln's Top Hat. Hosted by Ben Kissel. Boom, we can't get fooled again. Welcome to the show, everyone. I am Ben Kissel, as always, with Marcus Parks. Hey, Ben. How are you, Marcus? I'm doing good. I got a tooth pulled this week, but it's doing okay. I know. We have to apologize. There won't be a last podcast on the left coming out this week because Marcus's mouth is dysfunctional, <laughs> like the United States government. <laughs> think about it. Uh, we have to thank everybody in St. Paul, Minnesota. Of course. Holy hell. I don't know if they have water in St. Paul because all I saw was booze. It was insane. And uh, it was such a wonderful experience, a wonderful time. I got to hang out with some old college friends. Mm -hmm. I did not apologize for doing anything wrong to them when I was in college because as soon as I saw them, I realized why I did. They're schmucks. (laughs) They're a bunch of schmucks. They got me far too intoxicated. Oh, man. They were telling me stories backstage about you in college, and it was three consecutive stories involving knives. Oh, my God. Well, you got to have fun sometimes. (laughs) And certainly knife play. It's... (laughs) I'm surprised they still have all of my digits. It's incredible. <laughs> my, that, that was a, a wonderful time. Halfway through the second show at St. Paul, I took a shot on stage. And you know when you have the, the final shot of your night? Uh-huh. But then imagine being on stage in front of 300 people. <laughs> and then I just, I, I felt like Glenn Campbell up there uh, in his, uh, in his uh, latest tour when he had Alzheimer's. I was smiling. The lights were on. But, oh, my God, the family fled because they lived in Aleppo. Oh, it we all have our uh-oh moments. Like, you uh-oh. take that shot, like, uh-oh. Uh-oh. Oh, no. And then I, just, I was just looking at Henry and Marcus as they slowly slowly became more and more like uh, Britney Spears uh, in a music video with just stars around their faces. And I was like, look at those majestic boys. Oh, I'm on stage. Oh, my God. But that was a wonderful time. And we had a good time talking politics after the show with a bunch of people. Um, I got a lot a lot of great messages. I also want to thank everyone who's been emailing in for the Dumpster Fire Chats. Email me at benk721 at gmail.com. And I'm going to read as many as possible. Thank you so much for supporting uh, that show. This show, it's the same show it's the same show one is done in a closet <laughs> and, and this is done in the uh, in the back room of a mexican restaurant mm-hmm. our beautiful uh, creek in the cave so we've got a lot to get to a lot um donald trump gave his first speech in front of a joint sessions uh in front of congress a joint session um so obviously we have republicans and we have democrats and the republicans said we love everything you're doing and the democrats said we love some of the things you're doing <laughs> so uh it was a big winner for donald trump because the bar was exceptionally low and the man only had to go on stage 
and um, not act like a gorilla in the zoo and uh, and throw dung all over the crowd. He had to act like a human being. He had to act mildly presidential. And uh, I suppose he did that. I guess. Um, okay, yes. He was able to read in front of a crowd very well. Good yes. fucking job. And he also understood the uh, the importance of political props. Uh, and I, I don't want to uh, be demeaning whatsoever to the wife of the soldier who died in the Yemen raid, a raid that uh, yielded very little intelligence, uh, despite what the administration says about it yielding a massive amount of important uh, intelligence that's going to protect our country. He was a hero. He was a, uh, a wonderful, um, uh, you know, I mean, he died for this country. He died do, you know, doing what he, um, what he loved to do, which was to serve his country. His wife was there uh, in Congress, and she got the, a huge applause break. Donald Trump is finding out how to use those people uh, for, uh, political, for his political gain. His name was William Ryan Owens. Okay, and so thank you for your service, uh, and rest in peace, of course. A wonderful human being. We're not discrediting him whatsoever. But Donald Trump is now learning the tricks of the presidency. Yeah, but he's learning the tricks of the presidency, but he's not learning them well because earlier that day, he did not take responsibility for the death of the soldier. He said that it was on his generals that the guy died. And I will say this about Obama, is that he always took responsibility for when a soldier died. Hell, he took responsibility for Benghazi. He took... Mm full and total responsibility for Benghazi and when the commander-in-chief does not take responsibility for his decisions and does not take responsibility for the death of his soldiers that is telling his soldiers that he does not have his uh, does not have their back uh-oh Marcus I'm gonna have to put on my disagreement cap <laughs> when it came to Benghazi let's not forget they blamed it on a video the innocence of Muslims they did but and a couple of months later a couple of months later let's still, not say that he took full responsibility of Benghazi okay. they knew it was quite a kerfluffle because of the invasion that Hillary Clinton and had, uh, you know, navigated and and uh, and set into action when it comes to ousting Gaddafi that there is in true. Libya. But in October, he said, "I am ultimately responsible for what's taking place there because these are my folks, and I'm the one who has to greet these coffins when they come home." But Donald yes. Trump came right out. But there's some, there's a difference between saying, "Okay, maybe it was some sort of like bullshit video." Okay, that's bullshit nonsense. completely. Absolute that's, nonsense. That's that's nonsense. That's absolute Valerie, nonsense. Valerie Jarrett was out there spouting those lies, yeah. and those were lies, and that was absolute nonsense, but Donald Trump came right out and said, this wasn't my fault. And you know what? He wasn't there. He wasn't in mm. the room when that decision was being made. He was off tweeting. He was not there, and he is not taking responsibility. And of course, yes, Obama, well, now we Benghazi, I'm sorry I even fucking brought it up. Oh my, uh, don't even get me going on Benghazi. It was still, very sad. But still, Donald Trump did not take responsibility for this, uh, and that was one of the huge complaints the Republicans always has, that Obama does not have the, he does not have the military back. He does not support the military. And Donald Trump in his first 40 days is coming out and saying, this isn't my responsibility. And we're gonna, I'm not a part of this. And we're going to get into the Russia situation with Jeff Sessions, obviously, on, on the heels of Michael Flynn being fired uh, as national security advisor and uh, just what is going on with the Russians. We're going to talk about that a little bit later on in the episode. But with that uh, context, it is interesting thinking about the media, Obama, and the media under Donald Trump, specifically in that Yemen raid. Roughly 30 civilians uh, were killed, including the child, uh, the daughter of uh, the first U.S. Uh, citizen killed overseas mm -hmm. uh, as well, a man who went over there to fight for ISIS. I'm blanking on his name. I would mispronounce it anyway. <laughs> um, so, uh, but to that point, yes, uh, that was a... A total botched raid. There is no denying that that did not go nearly as well as planned. But, of course, Donald Trump 
uh, said it was A+. plus. It was a perfect rate and everything went according to plan, which it might have because Steve Bannon was like, we'll kill 30 innocents. <laughs> Let's do the raid that way. You know, everyone's yeah. killing the bad guys. What if we let them live and we kill the good guys? Yeah. Have we ever thought about doing that, Donald? I mean, there's one thing about honoring a uh, the, one thing about honoring a widow during joint sessions. Uh, it's another thing when earlier that day you take zero responsibility for it. And it's also another thing to honor that widow while lying about it. While completely and totally lying about what happened in that raid and yep. what was actually yielded in that raid. So let's go through a little bit about uh, you know what he actually discussed in that in in the address um, uh, to uh, to Congress. Um, he has a new policy and plan a policy uh, plan called Voice. Now this seems a little bit odd to me. Uh, basically, it's a um, a tactic of. Of, of ratting out your neighbor or a tactic when what this is for people who were um victimized by immigrants it's called voice victims of immigration crime engagement okay so now if you really want to take any group of the population and target them and exploit all of the crimes that have happened with members of said group the Polish are the worst people on earth, or or, or tall people are the worst person on, or people yeah. on earth. You could make this about anyone, and of course, what he is doing is isolating immigrants because those are the boogeyman of our times, according to Donald Trump. Yeah, and this uh, this right here, uh, you know, not to get too hyperbolic on it, but the Nazis did the exact same thing with the Jewish population. They published a pamphlet in which they listed all of the Jewish criminals, all the Jews that have been accused of crimes in. In Germany, and Donald Trump is about to do the exact same thing. He's about to start publishing the list, the, the names of uh, immigrants who have committed crimes in order to stoke fear. This does not serve any other purpose. I cannot see a purpose for this other than to stoke fear. I don't know how this is defensible in the least bit. Well, and now, of course, we have the situation where he is beginning to go after dreamers. Uh, I want her name is. Um Let's see. Her name is Daniela Vargas. She was a dreamer. She was. Uh, she came here at seven years old from Argentina. Her uh, her DACA application had expired. You have to renew it every two years. It had expired, and she went to speak about immigration and the U.S. immigration policies. She went to give a public speak about a uh, speech about it. Her father is currently detained, waiting to be deported. Her brother is currently detained, waiting to be deported. After the speech, where she was discussing the issues with immigration in this nation, she was followed by members of ICE by. Uh, of course, it's, it's an extension of law enforcement. ICE. It's not a military. Um, uh, it's not. It's not a part of the U.S. military, despite the fact that Donald Trump said it was a military. You know, executed like a you know a fine fine tuned military uh, machine. They're at a part of the Department of Homeland Security. So she was followed. Uh, she was then arrested, and uh, this is. The second DACA kid, I, I can recall now, the first one, they, uh, they proclaimed he was a gang member. He said he was not. Now, Daniela, we know for a fact she is not participating in gang uh, activity. She's not a bad hombre, as Donald Trump uh, likes to call them. She is a U.S. citizen, been here since she was seven years old, and for all intents and purposes, doing every single thing that an above average American uh, woman would do. Well, it's like I said uh, a few weeks ago uh, when he made his first statement about the DACA kid. What he was saying is, we're not coming for you yet, and now that time has come. They are now coming for the DACA kids. But if you listen to the speech, it's very interesting because he does have a much softer tone uh, when he's talking about DACA. You know, the good ones get to stay. Whatever the good ones are, uh, it's a very uh, it's vague. I say vague, mm-hmm. um, but it's very broad. What what is a good one to Donald Trump? Yeah, I believe anyone who is here illegally is not a good one. 
Yeah. The 11 million undocumented workers, it doesn't matter what they have done wrong or what they have done right. In my opinion, when this administration says the good ones get to stay, the bad ones get to go, anyone who is here illegally is a bad one. Yeah. And so I think the mass deportation, uh, those will be happening. Those will continue to happen. And it is nice that the media is finally paying attention to them. Yeah. After Obama deported more people than any other president out there. And as Donald Trump loves to break records, which was the uh, the record that was broken with the applause uh, given to the widow of, uh, of, of the great soldier who passed away in Yemen and the Yemen raid. Uh, I mean, I thought that was so unbelievable that he patted himself on the back to some degree for having the longest applause break. Oh, he did. In, uh, in a uh, in congressional history, which we don't know because there isn't no one's holding Guinness Book of World Records isn't there in the front row. Be like, when do they stop clapping? When do they start? That was the longest, Donald, the longest applause break ever for a widow dead in a raid caused by a president's uh, you know complete and utter lack of understanding of how to uh, uh, you know operate. Yeah, lack of understanding and lack of care. He didn't give a shit about that raid. All he wanted was a, an operation. He did not sign off on it. He did not have any. Knowledge whatsoever of whether it would work or not, he did not give a shit. But you know, and these now things, he's pretending like he gives a fuck. Well, because it, it helps him politically, yeah, and it is extremely disrespectful to that widow. It is extremely disrespectful to that woman, and it's well, extremely disrespectful to the memory of that soldier. You know, the soldier was probably, I mean, I don't know the political affiliation of the soldier, but we can't say that. I mean, this is sort of it, it goes with the uh, the job. Um, yeah, it that does. soldier knew what he was getting into, and the wife, um, she did seem to be truly moved. But there is something about honoring individuals who have sacrificed and, and given their all for this country. There is no denying that. And so we can't lose sight of that. It's just Donald Trump lies so much um, about small things, about big things. It's hard to take him seriously. It's hard to find any sincerity in his actual concern, like you were saying, for the passing away of this great soldier. So um, what else was discussed in this speech? Many, many uh, other things. The one thing that really uh, bothers me about this entire speech, uh, how much money is all this shit going to cost? Well, he asked how for one trillion for this one trillion dollars in uh, for infrastructure. And that is a that's a fairly uh, liberal idea. You it's know, all very liberal. And uh, of course, he does want to expand the government. There's no denying that. And it's interesting watching the Republicans, Paul Ryan and uh, and Mike Pence, sit behind him. They they applaud on the immigration uh, things, and they applaud on you know financing the military, uh, getting the military more money. Um, but they don't applaud on TPP or on NAFTA or those sorts of things. So Donald Trump still does have that, you know, and that's that's the classic populism of Donald Trump where he dis distances himself from the Republican Party. And, of course, that ties into Russia and the complete and utter um, confusion on the Republican Party, in the Republican Party, regarding how to react to the Russians' involvement with the Trump campaign and with the Trump administration. And to give him some credit, the paid family leave thing is a pretty big deal. That I was will... put in there by Ivanka. Oh, really? Okay, yes. well, I, I can give him, I mean, yeah, credit where credit is due. That is a, a good thing. That's something that people have wanted for a long time now. So if I can give him one check mark on the uh -oh. whole thing. Oh, so that uh, check mark, that thing that I like, wasn't even put in there by him? Well, I mean, he he still read it off the teleprompter very well, <laughs> by the way. But it was Ivanka's. But it was Ivanka's idea. That's been Ivanka's thing the whole time. Okay, yeah. that's great. Yeah, good for her. So good for Ivanka. Yeah, and I mean, you know, she is the more that Ivanka can be in President uh, Trump's ear as opposed to Steve Bannon um, or Stephen Miller, that's a good thing. Yeah, there's no denying that. So yes, it was a uh, it was an interesting speech. It was, you know, 
it uh, it was if you are an anti-Trumper, which I think many people are listening, um, it was something to be uh, slightly concerned about. If he can project a, a presidential tone, uh, that's going to be you know that's going to go very far for him. Um, because I think at the end of the day, if you look at his approval ratings amongst Republicans, it's 85 percent. It's much lower than that, obviously, with Democrats. It's in the 30s, which I thought was actually still fairly high yeah. um, in a strange way. If he can present himself uh, like a president, uh, you know, there's going to be there's going to be some interesting, uh, you know, times to come. And I mean, as far as impeachment goes, uh, there, there's a lot. I, I did a great little town hall yesterday called um, Demystifying Government. A lot of the people there, there were, they were, uh, you know, they were left leaning individuals. They wanted impeachment for either the emoluments clause or the collusion with the Russians. Uh, I don't think imp- uh, impeachment's going to happen. Even if you impeach, there is that's a totally different situation than uh, actual removal from office. Yeah, Clinton and- was impeached. Exactly. Um, and the only president uh, to be impeached uh, closely was uh, was Andrew Johnson. And then, of course, Nixon he would have been impeached, but he just he's like, I'm out of here. I've had enough. Um, so he just he just dipped town. It's very difficult to impeach. I I equated it to, you know, trying to win a nine inning baseball game by hitting home runs in the first inning. It's just not going to happen. It's a, it's going to be a slow burn to um, to fight some of the policies that Donald Trump wants to put out there. It's just going to be uh, it's going to require activism and uh, and really kind of boots on the streets of, uh, you know, of Washington and protest and things like that, specifically when it comes to Jeff Sessions and his desire to go after states that legalized marijuana or at the very least stop the expansion of legalized marijuana throughout the country. Jeff Sessions, let's move on to him now, the current attorney general, also possibly uh, had uh, conversations with the Russians, which, you know, these people are very high up. Uh, they have conversations with these other individuals on a regular basis. That in itself might not be the largest deal, but a bigger deal is he lied in front of Congress during the confirmation hearings. Well, it's not a big deal for Jeff Sessions at all. He was a part of the Armed Services Committee. Those people talk to everybody. I mean, they have a lot of uh, conversations with other countries, so it's not a big deal that Jeff Sessions talked to Russia. It's a big deal that he lied about it, especially right. in light of Michael Flynn. Uh, when you have so many Many people in this uh, administration having some collusion, or not necessarily even collusion, having some communication with the Russians. Let's not get too far ahead of ourselves mm-hmm. on this. It, some communication with the Russians. The question is, why are they lying about it? What do they have to hide? They would not be lying about it if they did not have something to hide. Well, that's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking, too. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> of course. Uh, you know, the Russian scandal is is absolutely fascinating. And, you know, if you look at Vladimir Putin... He has been allowed to do as well as he has done because of foreign intervention by the United States for the past 16 years that has left the Middle East in absolute shambles. And he's basically just filled uh, the vacuum that was created when Obama, well, first of all, when Bush went in, destroyed the whole damn place. And when Obama left, the vacuum was filled by the Russians. And I had an opportunity to talk about this at length yesterday at this conference. And uh, it's really interesting if you look at uh, the United States and uh, in Russia. So, I mean, just really briefly with the, uh, you know, I'm not Saman or Bobby. Hmm. Believe it or not, I'm not him. <laughs> uh, but we've got the Bolshevik Revolution, 1917, 1918. Lenin comes in, yada, 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 World War II. I yada, 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 yada to World War I. I just want to make that clear. I did yada, yada that. 
World War II, FDR sits down with Joseph Stalin. Hmm. They actually had a fairly cordial relationship, which is an uncomfortable truth. We got along with the Russians during World War II, obviously. We had to. Uh, Truman went in and actually met after after FDR. Truman sat down with Stalin and talked to him about how the war was going to end very soon. He's like, we got a big surprise. And Stalin like didn't react because he's like, yeah, I, I know. You got the bomb, right? <laughs> you guys you guys paid the Nazi scientists more money than we were going to pay them, so you got them, and then you got to make the bomb. I see. Okay. So, um, and then basically as soon as the war ended, it ended with uh, the Eastern Front and Berlin. And the U.S. wanted Berlin, and Russia wanted Berlin, and that's the Cold War, and that's when it began. Well, I mean, we it's a the, much more complicated. Much more complicated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it so was then we also have, played in with you know Harry Truman's Secretary of State that oh, really yeah. fucked that. I mean, Harry Truman is the man that fucked up our relationship <sighs> with Russia and began the Cold War. Well, I think the Cold War was just simply going to begin because the realignment of uh, you know the geopolitical world was totally. Uh, I mean, everything was off kilter now. Yeah, and it, it was. It could have been prevented. It absolutely could have. We could have worked with the Russians, well, and it could have been prevented. But Harry Truman and his Secretary of State said, "Fuck you." Um, I don't know if we want to be working with the Russians. I mean, the Russians weren't exactly trying to give us a hug at that time. But uh, we go back, and so now let's go to the 90s, right? So we have uh, we have Boris Yeltsin in there after, uh, you know, the Russians were doing fairly well um, up to that point. Now, Boris Yeltsin dissolves the Soviet Union. It dissolves underneath him. I mean, it was going to happen. It was inevitable. Putin absolutely hated that. I mean, that was his whole thing. He was with the KGB at the time. He thought that was the biggest tragedy that's ever happened. 1999, we've talked about this many times. The Chechnyan apartment bombings, they blamed it on the Chechnyans. It was the KGB, which is now the FSB. It was them that started it. Putin ran on a platform to uh, basically make Russia great again. He wanted to get back the Soviet Union. Um, and through 16 years of U.S. foreign policy, he's been able to not accomplish his goals, but take steady steps to accomplishing those goals. Uh, what happens in the Baltic now? With he's trying to get Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia back. Um, that would that's uh, you know the Baltic bloc, and then of course with the annexing of Crimea, which Obama allowed for, and going into Ukraine, which Obama you know did not. Uh, did not stop when he said that he would. So we have we have two presidents in a row that are facilitating uh, Putin's strides to bring the Soviet Union back, and now we have a perfect storm of events that leads to Donald Trump's presidency running a very nationalistic campaign, much like Putin did. Instead of Chechnyans, it's immigrants, it's Muslims. Um, it's the exact same recipe for... Um, for nationalistic success yeah. uh, and nationalistic, I mean, he's an, I mean, obviously Donald Trump being an economic uh, nationalist and America first. It's very Putin-esque. So it makes sense to me when you listen to Donald Trump talk about Vladimir Putin, when you listen to the respect that he has for Vladimir Putin, if you look at Putin's rise to power, it is um, – it is the template that that Donald Trump used. Populism. Uh, it's populism, but it's also – um, tied into this this us against them narrative. We've been screwed over for so long. This country was great. Now it's not great. Let's make it great again. All of those sorts of things make a perfect, it forms just such a perfect narrative for Donald Trump. And I think as he took from different sort of um, political figures throughout the primary, I mean, he would change his tone Bernie Sanders was talking about TPP. Next thing you know, Donald Trump is talking about TPP. Bernie Sanders talking about, you know, rebuilding the middle class and uh, even going after the 1%. I mean, Donald Trump had very hard rhetoric when it comes to, like, Wall Street and things like that. Obviously, none of that was uh, will ever come to fruition. Wall Street is going to be doing just fine Wall under Street, a President Donald Trump. Wall Street is breaking records under Donald Trump. And now and we, everyone's pointing, pointing towards that as uh, some sort of great victory. Uh, and it's a great victory for Wall Street, but how many of you motherfuckers are involved in that. 
well, maybe a co- I don't have enough money to invest. <laughs> I would, I would exactly. invest in How many of you motherfuckers out there listening have enough money to invest? How many of you are actually benefiting hmm. from that? Can you invest in just like um, the left Twix? <laughs> I always I always like the left Twix better than the right Twix. I always eat the left one first. I don't know why. Uh, so, of course, we have this strange um, collaboration happening with Donald Trump in in America, taking from you know some of Putin's playbook, um, of course you know talking about uh, even when he was having that conversation with Bill O'Reilly, discussing how the United States is no saint, we're no angel, you know, mm-hmm. um, equating us, putting us on the same level as a Russia when it comes to the terrible nefarious things that uh, Vladimir Putin did in order to become elected, and of course he just hasn't left, yeah. um, which is a horror. I mean, you know, Russia was a democracy at that point when Putin was elected. He was not supposed to stay there forever. No. He just Bloombergged it, and he's just like, I'll just do another term. And, <laughs> and his approval ratings are exceptionally high. Very high. Uh, in Russia. And not a lot of people realize that. He's crushing it. If you're Vladimir Putin, you are the happiest politician on the global stage. You are the ha- This is the happiest a, Russia's, uh, a Russian politician has been since Gorbachev was too drunk to remember that he was Russian. <laughs> well, if you go to Russia, you can see Putin merchandise everywhere. Someone yeah. sent us a Vladimir Putin calendar. Uh, calendar it's that good, is, too. It's great, It's very, but it's very worshipful. It is. You know, it's very worshipful. And, and that goes back to that story that we heard when Donald Trump gave his speech in Palm Beach mm-hmm. uh, with, the, with the person that he brought on stage, and the, the reporter said, what did Donald Trump tell you when he brought you on stage you said he told me i was great yeah he told me i was great and then that man has a six foot cutout of donald trump and he looks at it every day and salutes salutes it it. yeah Uh, it's very german it's (laughs) It's very (laughs) russian it's it's dictatorial right it really is and i think the russians what's really coming out now uh is i think what america did through that 16 years i think we forgot how smart russia is oh my goodness absolutely russians are extremely intelligent people they've got one mode and it is go has not anyone seen uh, Rocky Ford? <laughs> it's just go, go, go. Yeah, the Russians set us up. Uh, you know, we're really starting. I think what we're well, seeing right now is I think we're starting to see the fruits of Russia's labor, all the seeds that they planted last year, all of these politicians that are in Donald Trump's cabinet that are now, for some reason, very afraid to talk about their conversations with the Russians. And oh, absolutely. I think that the Russians, you know, with the DNC hacks, and now that it's coming out, all of these people that were involved either uh, directly or indirectly with Trump's campaign, now it's coming out that they were having all these conversations with them last year, and all of this is to sow chaos. It's all to breed uh, the, uh, I, I guess it, it's all to breed uh, a loss of confidence in the American with the American people in it their is. government, and it's happening. It is absolutely happening, mm-hmm. uh, and it's causing a lot of people to lose confidence. But it's also causing a lot of others to double down. It's causing a lot of people to really double down their support for Donald Trump. Because if there's one thing that Americans hate, it's being made to look like an idiot. If there's one thing that Americans hate, yeah. it's admitting that they were wrong. Uh, it is interesting. Of course, you have John McCain and Lindsey Graham. They just gave a press conference or a town hall yesterday on CNN. CNN is loving these town halls. They can't get enough of them. Oh, they're into it. They're absolutely befuddled by all of this. The Republican <laughs> Party is completely confused. The hawks of that party who have seen, who have lived through the Cold War, who have seen what the Russians have done, can't understand how, as a nation, we are willing to allow a Republican president to have such close ties with the Russians. So let's go back to Michael Flynn. Of course, 2014, he was fired from Barack Obama's campaign. 
or administration because he continually called um, Islam a, re- a political affiliation as opposed to a religion. And of course, when you equate it to a political affiliation, uh, the Constitution's out, you know, out the window, yeah. and there are no more no more religious freedoms. Yeah. Um, yes, so that's that's with Mike, Michael Flynn there in 2014. Well, I mean, really, if you listen to Donald Trump's speech, one of the big things that I noticed was he put a period after every word in radical Islamic terrorism. Right. He put punches on each of those. He put buttons on every single one of those words because he wanted to make sure. He wanted to really drive home what his opinion was and what his stance is on Islam. That was a dog whistle there. And he did not mention uh, mention Russia one time. Uh, the new national security advisor um, McMasters does not want him to use the terms radical Islamic terrorism. No. But of course he still is. Um, anyway, what I was trying to get to there, December 26th when Obama had the sanctions placed upon the Russians um, after they found out they were colluding with the campaign uh, with the with the Trump campaign um, which the, the sanctions by the way were fairly minimal it just closed two Russian compounds one in Maryland and one in New York and they expelled 35 Russian um, diplomats who they you know believed were tinkering uh, with the elections uh, and things like that what we have there is Paul Ryan the Speaker of the House talking about how finally Barack Obama has been strong against the Russians mm-hmm. uh, Paul Ryan literally said it's been eight years of horrendous U.S. foreign policy regarding the Russians. It's about time Obama got tough. Far too late. Uh, you know, too little, too late. They they uh, chastised Obama even, uh, for the sanctions not being strong enough. We have Michael Flynn uh, then immediately talking uh, with the Russians about how the sanctions will be lifted, which is, you know, we know this. But the Republican Party now is following a man who is— Hillary on steroids when it comes to being friendly with the Russians. Hillary, of course, also wanted to do a, a, a restart with the Russians, but Donald Trump is straight up allowing this country to become um, allies with the Russians. And at no point did Hillary's restart, from my understanding of it, uh, entail an actual relationship in an ally form. So the Republican Party is completely confused, and they really have nowhere to go with it regarding the U.S. and and Russian relations, and they don't know what the uh, next step should be regarding the U.S. and Russia. Uh, I mean, you could argue, is it bad to have a friendship with Russia? I mean, this is the stance of the Trump administration, and it was what the Republicans accused Barack Obama of being was friends with the Russians. Of course, he wasn't. Is that a bad thing? I don't think it's a bad thing to have a good relationship with Russia. I don't th- but I don't think we should have a cozy relationship with Russia. But right now it's about as cozy as it could po- it's the coziest it's ever been in our lifetime and yeah. probably again since FDR met with Stalin since we were fighting the Nazis. Believe it or not, that's a good reason to come together to fight Nazis. Yeah, and the reason why we have cozy relationships with countries like say for example England and Canada is because we can trust those countries. We know they're not going to try to fuck us over. We can't trust the Russians. We can have a good relationship with them, but we can't be cozy with them. I really don't. I don't believe that well, uh, Putin is into having a mutual, benef- a mutually beneficial relationship with America. I just don't believe that. You know, I mean, that's what happened now. So once we filled that, once that vacuum was created in Syria, and the Russians were able to come over there and you know really do our dirty. It, it's so ironic to me that you know we have the uh, the Iranians are, are the devil and everybody hates them, and the the Russians, uh, you know, for the longest time were the, were uh, you know the Red Scare and Red Dawn, and they're coming to invade. Our country and make us all uh, disgusting socialists and communists. 
they are the ones fighting the war for us when it comes to uh, ISIS. Mm-hmm. And so the U.S. has benefited greatly from the Russian military. I mean, you know, Assad is still in power. Yes, we didn't want him in power, but of course, the red line that he that he crossed when he started to use chemical warfare, and of course, the um, the insurgents and and the rebels were also using chemical weapons. It's an absolute nightmare what's happening in Syria right now. Uh, the Russians are really one of the more stabilizing factor, uh, factions in that region. So it's uh, the whole the whole country, the whole world is at a uh, is at a crossroads when it comes to these relationships, these strange relationships. ISIS is not nearly as powerful as the Nazis. They're not going to take over, uh, you know, the Middle East in a nearly an effective way as, as as the Nazis were able to take over huge. I mean, the majority of Europe. Um, but they are, you know, in in the eyes of many people, uh, just as horrifying. Yeah. Well, I think the uh, conundrum that Republicans and Democrats, I think everybody in Congress right now, uh, I think what how they've been governing for the last couple of decades is they govern to get elected. They don't govern well, for the good of the American people. And I think right now nobody knows how to govern anymore because they don't know how to govern to get elected because they don't know which way the American people are swaying. So that's, I think, why they're so confused because they're torn between like, okay, how do we govern to stay in power? They don't know how to govern for the good of the American people. Well, and I think that's why when, when we see the Republicans at these town halls, they're being – I mean, it's like a, a – a, it's like Def Jam, Def Jam comedy. Uh, they, the crowds are just <laughs> screaming at them, but they're not yeah. encouraging them to tell another joke or anything like that. I mean, they're livid. Yeah. But this is where the confusion comes in also when it comes to Russia and the United States and the Trump administration. He's kind of um, more liberal on these stances. Although Russia, I mean, it's it obviously, you know, it's going back to the playbook that, that Putin had to create the, I believe it's an oligarchy. Uh, getting rid of the media, getting rid of private companies, oil companies, things like that, and just completely murdering any of his adversaries. If you look at what Donald Trump has been doing, and we can talk about the media a little bit because I want to get into that subject also. It's it's on the tip of everybody's tongue. Uh, I mean, Trump is attempting to go down that road. He wants of to. Muting, he wants to, of muting uh, the media. But I want to hear your thoughts on that because uh, I'm conflicted on the entire thing. You're conflicted on Donald Trump keeping people out of the press gaggle? Well, the press gaggle, so we didn't allow the New York Times or CNN, right? So these are, they, they are not the media, right? These are two entities. These are two private corporations that uh, have reporters. And yes, they do. Uh, they are journalists. But they, what is media? Right. Is Twitter media, Facebook media. Uh, There are so many different kinds of media. And I think a lot of times when people talk about Barack Obama kicked Fox News out, that is technically media uh, of of the of the White House press room, although he he later uh, allowed them in uh, once uh, the um, the backlash was too strong from other media outlets. There are Trump is opening the doors to other forms uh, of media. I mean, obviously, they are outlets that are more. Uh, you know, kind to him uh, in their reporting, such as, uh, you know, um, InfoWars, yeah. which is absolutely insane that they are a, a, a relative, a relevant uh, entity now. Mm-hmm. But I, so it's weird to me now when it comes to like CNN and uh, and those things, you know, New York Times, those are those are media entities, but they are not the media as a whole. I think there is more information now than ever before. So I do think there's a little bit of a misnomer happening when he's like he wants to shut down the media because you, I mean, there's more information 
again, than ever before. And there are more people speaking than ever before. It's easier than ever to be a journalist in a lot of ways. You can all just, uh, citizen journalism, they call it. Well, just because uh, people are talking a lot, that doesn't mean they're saying anything. Uh, I, well, that's true. I mean, you need to have people in there uh, that are professionals. Uh, I think having citizen journalists is extremely important. It is absolutely extremely important. Uh, but I think you also need to have people in there uh, that know what they're doing. Right, uh, and course, I think, but- and I think Donald Trump, he's just what he's trying to do. He's trying to remove anybody who does not agree with him, who does well, not treat him not, who does not treat Sean Spicer nice. Well, then CNN should definitely be back in the room. I, they are in the room, but in that gaggle, they were not allowed there uh, because they were unbelievably kind with they his uh, with his. Uh, speech in front of Congress. I mean, Van Jones, he took a lot of flack from the left. Of course, he is more of a left-leaning individual um, because he said he, he this was the first time he became he became president of the United States. All these people got extremely upset with him. and But their coverage was exceptionally kind. Yeah. And, and they didn't the, talk about voice and they didn't talk about right. any of the negative stuff. You know, and I think this might be CNN swinging too far to the other side. I think well, what they it want is, access. Yeah, I, I think they want access. And I think it's also them saying like, OK, well, we have to report something good about Donald Trump. So why don't we say that he acted presidential? Uh, I think that might be their tactic there, trying to get back in and saying like, okay, we have to say something positive about this guy. So let's say that he acted presidential here, but let's not talk about voice. Let's not talk about the scary stuff that uh, that he mentioned in his speech. Absolutely, and you know he did wrap a uh, a very aggressive domestic policy in in bubble wrap, and he made it seem much softer than it actually is. That was the tone. I mean, and that's what they're referring to when they say he became presidential. He just didn't sound like a total jerk off. Yeah. Uh, in other words, is basically all they're saying. But it is interesting. I don't think I think that that is getting a little bit blown out of proportion by those outlets because they want to maintain relevancy. And Donald Trump is choosing to go with other with other media brands. Yeah. And you know what? Don't don't get me wrong here. Uh, the and main. It's not like CNN hasn't failed us miserably in the past, by the way. And I mean, that's good lord. And that is exactly what I was about to say. I mean, the main mainstream media has failed us, you know, thousands of times before. The professionals have failed us a thousand times before, uh, but they still need to be in the room. They still need to be yeah. included. And, you know, if the citizen, if you say that Breitbart and Infowars and these uh, other alternative news organizations should be in the room, then everybody should be in the room. That You should also have CNN in there in the room. Yeah. You should also have the Washington Post in there in the room. You need to have a good balance in there. And all right, if you want Breitbart and you want InfoWars in there, put them in there. Let's give it. Let, I'm going to give it to you. <laughs> put him, <laughs> Tell me put, about chemtrails. <laughs> put, put him in there. Uh, but you cannot have a situation uh, where it is only friendly people in there but you also you can't can have a situation true. where it's only hostile people in there you've got to have a balance and these people cannot have people they cannot have only uh, reporters in the room that are going to give them softballs and you know that mm-hmm. also could be something that happened in the obama administration the mainstream media could have been a lot harder on obama they could have asked him a lot harder questions and i'm talking about people like cnn and msnbc of course fox was attacking him pretty hardcore the entire time but a lot of times fox wasn't attacking him on the the right questions. Fox was attacking him for birther bullshit. CNN and MSNBC and a lot of these other outlets, they could have attacked him on very real shit. They could have attacked yep. him on deportation. They could have attacked him on the drone war, but they did They didn't. chose not to, yeah. They chose not to. No, and CNN was busy, or 
Fox News, rather, was busy attacking him uh, for being, you know, the dictator in chief and uh, expanding the executive powers. Uh, Barack Obama only signed 276 executive orders. I believe Bill Clinton signed 300 and, ooh, it was like 361. And then uh, W signed 291. So W and Bush, uh, I mean, W and Clinton both signed more executive orders than Barack Obama. Barack Obama is actually fairly, like, in the middle. Uh, On average, it's been 100 a year. or roughly 100 a year for most presidents. So, uh, yeah, Barack Obama did not expand the executive office nearly as much as the uh, as, as Fox News would like. But, of course, if they wanted to praise Barack Obama, they would have to praise him for his immigration stance and things like that. But as opposed to giving any coverage to it whatsoever, they just chose not to acknowledge it. Um, and, of course, the, uh, the, the other two media outlets completely failed us. And most people in this country still don't realize that he is, you know, deporter-in-chief. That yeah. was his nickname, and that was, the, that was an accurate nickname. I mean, I don't think anybody realizes that Obama was a fine president. He was not he a was great fine, president. Yeah. He was not a bad president. He was a pretty good president. And I think yeah. if we would have had more uh, fair coverage on both sides, you know, if we would not have had uh, the left exalting him so much and the right demonizing him so much, the reality is that he was somewhere in the middle. And I think Absolutely. if we would have had uh, more balanced coverage but on both sides, yeah. that I think America would not have become so divided during his presidency. Well, these media outlets, you know, you can't trust any of the television news. I mean, CNN, MSNBC, they're... They're all sponsored by Northrop Grumman. They're all sponsored by, you know, massive conglomerate corporations that have huge vested interests in our foreign policy. Qui bono! Qui bono. (laughs) Holy hell! And now we've got to qui bono. Look who benefits. Northrop Grumman. Good Lord, it sounds like you ate a bad chicken. (laughs) Oh, I got a case of Northrop Northrop Grumman. All these people have bills to pay. They all have masters. Yeah, but there's, I mean, I am a little bit sick of everyone talking. I'm not going to come to the defense of CNN. They failed us miserably. They've been failing us for decades. I mean, you go back and watch footage in 2001 after 9-11. Watch the Trump up to the war. Watch them just just beating the drum of patriotism to go into a quagmire that we've been in for 16 years. Fuck CNN yeah. and fuck MSNBC, and I would say um, F Fox News. But I will be <laughs> filling in for John Gibson this Friday, Fox News Radio. Check it out on Red Eye on Tuesday. I'm going to go ahead and say fuck Fox News. Can I say that? You can say whatever you want to say. Fuck Fox News. <laughs> well, you didn't really <laughs> say it, but that's fine. No. Sorry, but my mouth is starting to give out. That's okay. All right, well, we'll be we better wrap. Marcus has a, a little tooth problem, as we mentioned earlier. But, you know, so uh, the war on media and things like that, I think that is it is it is partly true. There is no denying that. But I also think let's not lose sight of how much information is out there. For the first time in human history, we really have more outlets. We have more opportunity to express ourselves. This brings a different question of where do who do you trust? Yeah, um, and where do you look? I mean, we've uh, been trying to answer that question for two years now. Well, you know, it was so interesting being at this, uh, you know, liberal event yesterday. People talking about biased news, and everyone's like, you know, uh, Fox News is biased. We can't trust Fox News. Okay, that's true. But on the inverse of that, people say the exact same thing about biased MSNBC. They're both biased. Everybody knows they're biased. I think what happens is there's no institutions. Uh, that have like strong foundation, like rooted in in, in you know in, in in rock foundation, political foundation. But you do look at institutions like National Review, William F. Buckley, of course, a staunch conservative. 
but very principled, and mm-hmm. he was rational. And if you really want to tr- find uh, dirt on Donald Trump, read Rich Lowry, read Jonah Goldberg, Jonah Goldberg. The, read the conservatives who don't like Donald Trump, yeah, because they attack him on policy, and they go in. I mean, they absolutely cannot believe what he is doing when it comes to expanding the executive office, what he's doing with Russia, the anti-Semitism. Jonah Goldberg. Um, of course, National Review was a it was a conservative publication that was a never Trump publication. They it, it they did not that was not to their benefit. No, it would have been a hell of a lot easier. My uh, my girlfriend who uh, who works there, I mean, they just she she gets the phone calls because they're you never call the president of the company. You know, whenever <laughs> these people who call like National Review or New York Times, who are you? You're talking to you know. Um, I'm not that she has a very high level position. Of there. course, but, but it's like you're never gonna you're like you know Buckley isn't gonna answer. Yeah. He's dead, but <laughs> if he was alive. You're not going to get William F. Buckley on the phone, okay? Yeah, I, I mean, I would love for there to be a, a, a true conservative in office right now because I really do believe in the balance of power. I believe in uh, people. Get, I believe in parties getting their turn. I think it's very good for the country when you have parties switching over because you know you have one. They they. I believe in the push and pull, the compromise of American government. That would be nice. Well, gerrymandering and redistricting have totally screwed over us on that. Yeah, but, of course. Uh, with Jonah Goldberg, this entire campaign uh, in 2016 he was getting pictures of he has a he has a young um i believe uh, she's an african-american i don't know what she's uh, she's a person of color um his daughter and he was i mean he's obviously jewish and he was the the memes and the the threats that they were getting the anti-semitic and the racist rhetoric directed towards them uh, him specifically at national review was absolutely insane but they stayed principled and yeah. of course they are a conservative magazine so we know where they're coming from yeah, but at least they stayed principled, and so there and there are institutions. You know, I believe the Nation mm-hmm. um, on the left. I suppose you could equate those two. Yeah, um, they're principled. You know, they're left, but they will. They are not going to lie to you about where they stand and why they stand where they stand. Yeah, um, and they true. Although the Nation probably could have done a better job regarding Obama. I did see a couple of you know coverages, uh, you know covers regarding his drone war and things like that. But so those institutions, I actually find. If if they are they express a bias, but they're not hiding behind um, the facade of being even and fair and balanced, mm-hmm. or you know CNN pretends like it's the most trusted name in news, or you know MSNBC is a little bit more on the nose when it comes to just like we love liberals, you know, <laughs> and we hate, you know yeah. and we hate conservatives. But so those I actually find to be relevant news sources if you go in knowing where they're coming from, mm-hmm. and then you can sort of guard against some of the implicit biases that you'll be reading but also you'll learn you'll learn a lot too and always go with the if there's a liberal in office read any liberal who has a dissenting opinion about that person and vice versa because yeah. those people are telling the truth because it's against their it's against their brand and they're still willing uh, you know uh, to speak truth to power and tell the truth the best they see it yeah and I have so much more respect for people uh, who follow principles and not people because I think that's one of the problems we're running in right now is that people are following Trump they're not following Trump's policy they're not doing it because they like Trump's policies right. I think a lot of people are doing it because they like Trump the man. Well, but- we have a cult of personality. It happened under Barack Obama exactly. as well. Uh, and the exact same thing happened uh, under Obama. So don't audacity. try to say I'm not trying to. Remember not that when they to- were like, Barack Obama's a celebrity in, in chief. He's I a celebrity. That. Just because celebrities liked him. And then he's like, but he was never an actor. Like, we literally have one. Yeah, if you Google uh, celebrity, the anyway. first person that shows up is Donald Trump.
Oh, my uh, goodness. Uh, I mean, we, we it's are. It's interesting. Yeah, and now Oprah's talking about running for president. Ooh. Yeah, it's like the, the American, the, the office of the American president is turned into a celebrity reality show. Well, I mean, I think that anyone should be able to run for president. Of course. Even a billionaire, Marcus. <laughs> even a billionaire should be allowed to run poor, for the Poor, poor billionaire. But you don't, it's isolating. Yeah, it's when very, you can't, oh, when the people are just like, can I have some of your money? And you have to be like, no, no, you can't have any. <laughs> Serve me, poor person. <laughs> It's isolating for them. Yes. But who it's, knows? It's very isolating. Honestly, yeah, I mean, if Oprah was running in the Democratic... Oh, we didn't even get to that. Tom Perez is the new head of the DNC. He had, a, he had a... Keith Ellison and Tom Perez were the two main people. CNN did a Democratic panel. It was a, a debate to to see who should be the new leader. I was talking to my friend Cena, who has a great show here on uh, on CCR called The Brighter Side. He's a regular fill-in for Dean Abadala on Sirius Radio. Cena, John, you know him. You'll love him. He said he's going to denounce his, uh, his, citi- his citizenship, mm-hmm. his, uh, his party-ship yeah. uh, to the Democratic Party because of Tom Perez. I mean, talk about a statist. <sighs> it's, it's total and utter nonsense. And if you watch the uh, I believe it was a ex Kentucky governor. Yeah, he gave the rebuttal for the Democrats after after uh, yeah, the, the congressional speech. The governor who just lost. It was so. It was. It, I don't know what the Democratic Party is doing there. We have it. a situation where the the tail is chasing the dog. They need to stick, get some principles, stick to them, and then let people come to you. You know, that's what we've done here at CCR. We haven't really changed that much. We just said, you know, we're just going to be ourselves, and people can come to us, and they can disagree with us or agree with us sometimes, but we're not going to sit here and change and chase everybody around, uh, you know, trying to get their political opinions and, and Cowtail, cowtow yeah, to cow, them. Yeah, yeah. I like to say cowtail. Uh, cow, cowtail. Yeah, people made fun of me. I was, I did it on the, on the, uh, on the chats there, and I was like cowtail, and everyone's like, it's not cowtail. I was like, <laughs> I'm from Wisconsin. <laughs> it's all a cowtail to me, but a cowtow to what other, uh, other people believe. Mm-hmm. Um, they, we just don't have a party right now that is that is rooted in any fundamentals that uh, that that can hold up to scrutiny, and it's really unfortunate. Well, who were the Democrats trying to reach? Because I was watching the de- I was watching oh, the Democratic good. response, and I'm sitting there watching this old man in a diner in yeah. Kentucky, and I'm like, who are you talking to right now? Literally surrounded by the cast of Get Out, <laughs> the movie Get Out, but not the black kid. He was not. It was like it was an old white diner crowd. I have no clue what it's because, of course, Hillary Clinton abandoned the white working class, um, you know, in in states like Michigan and Wisconsin. Um, that was, there was no Russian collusion in her horrible campaign. Now that was, that was those were all decisions made by her. So now the Democrats are trying to. Get back that base. But that's what the Democrats don't get is that they lost because they don't have any ideas. Get ideas. They have no ideas. There was no ideas of the Democratic Party. There was nothing but Hillary Clinton... Just being an old school Democrat on stage, they just, all they wanted was like, okay, here is a Democrat, vote for a Democrat. Whereas with Donald Trump, it's like, here's a man with bad ideas, but still, here's a man yeah. with ideas. Here's a man that's going to change something. And now the Democrats no are just policy, doubling but down ideas, on that. Yeah. yeah, he has ideas, and now the Democrats are doubling down on that. Where it's just, here's another old Democrat that you could not give a fuck about. Well, Lincoln Chafee had some good ideas getting us to the metric system. I thought that was a big political winner. <laughs> Wasn't he uh, in Esperanto? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, Jim Webb. I don't know what his idea. I think Jim Webb just wanted bigger hats so uh, they could fit his head. Uh, that might work out for him. And, of course, Bernie Sanders did the only candidate with any 
ideas. I mean, strangely and enough, new ideas. He's been saying them for 30 years. I mean, but, no one uh, was that. No one's new been listening to him. On a he, had new, level. he had new ideas, and he also had principles. Although I will say, Bernie Sanders, he's all over the place right now. I don't know. Just, I have Bernie fatigue. <laughs> I just, I mean, I just feel like every, he's always wagging that finger at me, screaming yeah. at me. But anyway, he did give a great, we talked about that, Ted Cruz. A little conversation they had there. Um, All right. Well, let's see. So I think that's basically it. We got, you know, we'll see if Jeff Sessions is able to to make it. I did predict Chris Christie would be a part of the administration at some point. It is possible that if, I mean, he's not being asked to step down. Even uh, Al Franken told him, he asked himself, he told Jeff Sessions to recuse himself from Mm -hmm. the Russian administration. Investigation into the in the collusion with the with the Trump administration, the Trump campaign, uh, but he didn't ask him to step down. We'll see how big this scandal actually gets. It's just one more scandal. Yeah, out I, of such a series of scandals. I think he's getting out of it. I I, I really I don't think he's going to resign. I don't think. Uh, I, I think what will happen is that he'll probably end up recusing himself. But I really don't think he's going to resign. And I if really he, don't. If he does, we'll see. If if Chris Christie gets in there, or God knows who. I mean, there's so many people. Um, out there that are that are possible for the attorney general, I would I think Chris Christie belongs in jail, and if he isn't becomes the attorney general, I think that's a total travesty. But that is what it is. Um, so uh, yeah, what a week, what, what a, a wild week. week. Yeah, what a week, man. Well, you can all rest rest assured that Donald Trump knows how to read in public now. <laughs> so he could read some good creepy pastas, yeah. actually. Yeah. Oh, he absolutely could. And if yeah. you want to hear Ben uh, read some more creepy pastas, go join our Patreon, our last podcast on the left, Patreon, patreon.com slash last podcast on the left. You're doing one every week now. I'm doing, yeah, I did two this week. Mm-hmm. One was called The House in the Shade. <laughs> and I, it was a, it was a cozy home, I yeah. think. Yeah, it was a very nice house. But remember, the, those of you who are uh, on the fence about Trump, I mean, this is what the plan has been. I believe that's what Bannon's plan has been all along is come out with chaos, throw red meat to your alt-right supporters thread meat or throw red meat uh to your like super right-wing supporters uh have there be chaos for about a month and then come in with a reasonable speech uh to alleviate the the fencers uh but don't mm-hmm. get don't get brought in by it because i mean if that speech was made by any other republican candidate it would be a fine speech but it's not made by any other republican candidate yeah. it is made by donald trump his actions speak loud louder than his words and all that was was words so remember that uh absolutely and i do wish his actions would meet up with some of those words because he did a yeah uh, you know again but but, uh, but the immigration stuff what is a bad guy i mean these things well i mean we're just going to be covering this stuff for such a long time yeah we we really are and and also ask yourself if you are a conservative uh that uh supports trump ask yourself how's he going to pay for all this how's he going to pay for the wall how's he going to pay for the one trillion dollars in infrastructure how's he going to pay for the paid maternity leave uh how's he going to pay for the gigantic increase in the military that we're about to get and cut taxes at the same time how is that going to happen Seriously, I, yeah. ask yourself. Ask yourself Parkins, that it, it does it does smell of the '80s. Which, by the way, the 1980s. You know, equating uh, people are so much different now. You know, Ronald Reagan appointed two pro-choice Supreme Court justices, uh, which could just never happen anymore. No, um, he was so much more pragmatic than people gave him credit for. I mean, granted, he did some atrocious things for the country. Yeah, um, but you know, 
I mean, I, I D- times were not nearly as partisan back then. They, they really, they weren't. just weren't. Yeah. I mean, I um, mean, uh, personally, uh, you know, I can, you, we can trace the uh, the homeless epidemic back to Ronald Reagan closing down all of the uh, mental asylums. But you know, that's a whole different thing. And the AIDS crisis, you know, he uh, fucking yep. uh, turned a blind eye to all of that. But on the other hand, Ronald Reagan was, like you said, uh, he was pragmatic. He uh, was pragmatic. He, yeah, he was a uh, the uh, Republicans these days who worship Ronald Reagan only pay attention to about half of what I would say pay attention to about a quarter of what he did well he's just a deity and they just place whatever opinions they want to place on him and say that it's oh, like a, just like Jesus just Ign- like Jesus ignore all the stuff that is inconvenient and uh, go for the stuff that makes you feel righteous yeah and if you want to also you know go back to the 1967 Mulford Act when uh, when uh, Ronald Reagan was the governor there that was a uh, totally anti second amendment act because the Black Panthers were starting to rise up and they wanted to disarm them the Black Panthers were the definition of the Second Amendment, a well-organized militia. Um, and that was the beginning of the disenfranchisement of, of gun rights for black Americans in this country. It also goes back uh, to the Sullivan Act in 1911 that happened here in New York City. That's a whole other episode we could get into. Yeah. Uh, gun rights, and on, honestly, racial the racial divide between gun rights and the NRA is uh, is truly atrocious. There really are two different sets of rules for two different um you know, parts of society. Of course. Um, so Ronald Reagan was was pragmatic, yeah, against uh, gun rights uh, in in California, and uh, and two pr- uh, Supreme Court justices who were pro-choice. It would be nice if we could get back to those times, but of course, the prison industrial complex absolutely ballooned under him. Uh, well, starting with Nixon, and then and then Reagan, Clinton. W and Obama, who tried his best, but you know what can you do? He didn't really try that hard, but um, to stop the, pri- the oh my, I can't even get in with the prison industrial complex right now. Okay, <laughs> uh, that's Marcus Parks. Find Marcus on Twitter at Marcus Parks and Instagram at Marcus Parks, and I'm I'm on Twitter at Ben Kissel, Instagram at Ben Kissel one, and uh, yeah, that's it. And it, yeah, I mean, you know, this all goes to like last podcast on the left. That's our Patreon, but it also goes for like this show, yeah, because uh, it's just Marcus and I. Um, and then we can give Henry some. We'll pretend he's here. Um, <laughs> and go to CaveComedyRadioMerch.com yeah. for your Abe Lincoln Soft Hat t-shirt. Yes, absolutely. And thank you so much to everybody who bought those. We really appreciate it. Oh, my God. We've sold so many. And I get all the pictures on Twitter, and everyone looks so good. Oh, yeah. You guys look great. Yes. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to CaveComedyRadio.com. I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and Sirius XM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and Sirius XM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes. Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am and how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful, but we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org lost.